You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today we're very excited to have a special guest speaker with us. Now let's prepare our hearts as our special guest brings forth God's truth from His Word today. Good morning, all. Good morning. Good morning. Love it. You know, sometimes when you're in the middle of something that's big and wonderful, you don't really realize it until you get beyond it, and then you look back and you go, that was amazing. Here's what I love about coming to Fellowship Baptist. Well, everything really. But number one, can I just list them? Can you count your blessings and name them one by one? Sue and I are in churches probably 45 to 50 weeks out of the year, in Michigan, out of Michigan, all over the place, trying to represent the ministry that we do. And I just want to compliment you that you are unique. Not every church is like you. Do you realize that? Are you aware of it? I was, I, oh, let me tell you. I, I was with one pastor and he said, we're, we're talking at lunch and he said, um, my people don't sing. How can we get them to sing? And I said, send your song leader down to Fellowship Baptist at Clark Lake. They sing. You know, I, whenever I'm here, I check the, stud, the um, beams in the ceilings to make sure that they're still attached because you guys raise the roof when you sing. And this is good. What's the Bible say? Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. So if you can inhale and exhale, we should praise the Lord. Then the other thing that I love, and we saw this this morning, is the song leader does all four verses of the song. I've often said I would never want to be the third verse of any song that we sing in church because nobody knows it, nobody sings it. And you folks are just friendly. You folks have the joy of the Lord. It radiates. And so I am blessed. Sue and I are blessed to be a part of the ministry here, to be one of your missionaries. If you have your Bibles this morning, let's take a look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians is one of those books where when Paul writes, you can see great encouragement. You can see joy. You can just, as you read this book, you can tell Paul is very happy with them. And it's interesting when you contrast the book of Philippians with 1 Corinthians, where Paul is trying to correct some of the mistakes that they've allowed in the church. In Philippians, he rejoices with them. Thinking about that church brings joy to Paul. And in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, Paul says this, these words for us. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things without murmurings and disputings. Verse 15, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst, and here's our Sunday school text for this morning, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, 
among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, not, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Let's ask God to bless our time together this morning. Dear Lord Jesus, we come to you, and at best, on our very best day, on the best moment of our best day, we are unprofitable servants. There is nothing good in and of ourselves that merits one second of any person's attention. But Lord, we come to you, and this is your word forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Let God be true and all men liars. Father, I ask that you would help us this morning to speak to the law and to the testimony, that we would speak what is truth, and Lord, that we would be motivated as your believers, those who name the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to stand for what's right in a world that is going wrong. And we would just thank you for this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Many of you remember probably four or five years ago, I was debating an atheist over in Grand Rapids, and the atheist had called me to say, I've been looking at some of your videos online, and you seem to say that America has a godly heritage. Well, if you've seen any of the videos, it would seem to say that. And it's not seem, I do say that. And so I went over there, and it was an interesting thing. We learned from it. We learned a number of things at the time. But the most amazing thing was not so much the debate for me, but what happened after the debate. After the debate, they could have question and answers, and a few people asked questions, and then they dismissed everybody, and this little woman came up to me, small, frail, probably 85, 90 years old, on eternity's doorstep, looking at the exit sign, and she put her finger in my face and she said, can you tell me how a father could kill his son? I said, ma'am, I, I don't understand what we're talking about. Are we talking about Abraham and Isaac? Are we talking about how in the Old Testament a father could take a rebellious son to the gate of the city and the elders would stone him there? And she looked at me and she said, God, the father, killed his son Jesus. He's a bully and I hate him. How would you like to enter eternity with those words on your lips? With thoughts like that? And what she was saying is, while I don't believe in God, I myself am my own God, and I have my own set of rules, and God, I've, I've given a test to God, God has flunked my rules, therefore I hate him, because he didn't pass my test. Well, the true test, you and I are not the test givers, we are the test takers. We are the students. We are the ones with whom God has given us an instruction book, a manual right here. When God uh, gave the instructions for the temple and the tabernacle, do you remember what pieces of furniture were, were missing from the tabernacle? Do you remember what they were? One was a chair. Priest doesn't sit down. And the second was a suggestion box. God's not interested in our opinion on how to do things. He has told us in his word, this is his word and there are no amendments or clarifications to it. Thus saith the Lord. So as we live in this crooked and perverse nation, your Christian faith, as we progress and as we go farther into time, you will find that your Christian faith will be tried. Peter says it's going to be tried by fire. Think about this. We have an amazing 
opportunity right now. The Vice President of the United States is a born-again believer. Every single Wednesday in his office, and Sue and I were in, we were in his office in March. His office is about as wide as this section of the church right here. He's got a long, very long conference table in there. And when he first walked into his office, he said, this would be a wonderful place for a Bible study. So every Wednesday at noon, they have a Bible study in his office, and Sue and I sat in on the Bible study one Wednesday. They had a local pastor come in, opened up the scriptures in the White House, and presented truth for all that were there. We have an amazing opportunity. I thought it was interesting, following the political uh, world as I do, after the election, how many of you know who Rachel Maddow is on whatever channel she's on, the channel that nobody watches? Um, after the election, she said, with, with just almost horror in her voice, she said, do you realize we are going to have a vice president of the United States who believes in a literal six-day creation? Amen. Amen. And I thought to myself, well, if you hadn't been a cheerleader with pom-poms for the other side, you may have done 30 seconds of journalism and found this out. But it was, I just expressed an opinion. Brother Corser, don't amen the opinions, okay? (laughs) But they could have found this out. So Mike Pence's wife, Karen, offered to volunteer at a Christian school in Alexandria, Virginia, and all she wanted to do is teach an art class. And the world was up in flames. The liberals, those who do not love God, went to DEFCON 4. There is an an immediate automatic emergency here. And this is what they said in the Huffington Post. Too many religious schools at all levels regulate the personal conduct of their employees and students. They have rules. Can I ask you something? Have any of you ever worked for somebody who had a set of guidelines, rules, or code of conduct for you showing up? Anybody? I speak in Christian schools all the time. Sue and I graduated from a Christian school. And we got the rule book. Uh, Back in our day, it was wear a tie, uh, all that kind of stuff, everything that we were supposed to do. And we just did it. Well, as we go through time, uh, people um, really don't want to have as many rules as they do. And so I was speaking in a chapel uh, a couple of years ago, and I said, you know, we've all had to live under rules. And sometimes it seems like there's just too many rules. And I said, let me read you the rules of this Christian school. And I read the rules that they had, that the employees were supposed to have their hair trimmed and neat, no ponytails, uh, no visible tattoos, all of these things. And then I went, oh, excuse me. Did I, they had to show up in uniform for work every single day. And I said, did I just read to you a Christian school? I'm sorry, those are the rules for working at Starbucks. They have rules for their employees. God has rules for us. God has things that he wants us to do. Everybody has rules. Then a New York Times reporter writing about hashtag exposed Christian schools asked this question. Are you in your 20s or younger and went to a Christian school I'd like to hear about your experience and its impact on your life. What did they do to you? How did they brainwash you? I would love to do hashtag expose the Christian schools and say, well, let me tell you what I learned at the Christian school. 
we had an evangelist by the name of Ron Comfort come in my senior year. And in a high school chapel, he quoted to high school students 40 verses without once looking at his Bible. That week, I went to the local Christian bookstore and I got the Navigator topical memory system and I started memorizing scripture, hiding God's word in my heart. I felt like I was called to the ministry through the ministry of those that were in Christian education. I wanted to be a good example to others like they were. And they don't want to hear that, they just want to hear what's wrong. And so it's not just there in Washington, D.C. Our society today, like that woman who shook her finger in my face, has a set, a moral code of what they think is right and wrong, and if you and I don't live by that moral code, they think we're bad people. Now think about this. We had just this last uh, Thursday or Friday, we had the international, they say climate change, it used to be global warming, then it was the big freeze, whatever it is, the, the big international day on climate change which was basically protests with a permission slip because all these kids got out of school for it. Uh, there is no genuine groundswell of this. And it all goes back to the fact that in talking to one politician, when I asked him about global warming and climate change, he said, when you worship the earth, when you worship Mother Earth, you better take care of Mother Earth. Now, the Bible talks about worshiping the creature, that which is created, more than the creator, which is what they did. Now, they will come up with a moral equivalency that you're a good person if you recycle. Can I tell you something? There is no moral equivalency to recycling. You're not a good person or a bad person if you don't separate your paper from your plastic. There's nothing moral about that. A pastor friend of mine, his wife, they lived out in New Hampshire. She set the trash out one week and forgot to separate paper from plastic, and they gave her time out. They wouldn't collect the trash for two weeks because she was a bad person. There's no moral equivalency to that, but in a crooked and a perverse nation, the Bible says they will call that which is good evil and evil good. So we need to be prepared for that. And think about how we as a nation began. The pilgrims coming to this country for religious liberty, the, the Mayflower Compact in the name of God, amen, undertaken for the advancement of the Christian faith. What happened to them, they're over in England and they want to be separate from the Church of England. And they say, we just got to get out of here. For our kids' sake, we've got to get out of here. And so they go to Delft, Holland, and in Delft, Holland, they figure out very quickly that their little uh, pilgrim children have English bodies and Dutch minds. You ever notice how children can assimilate a culture much faster than somebody else, than the adults. We're foreigners, and we got to take the manual and figure out how to do this, and they just pick it up. When we lived in South Carolina for 10 years, our oldest daughter grew up with the little Greenwood, South Carolina kids, and she had the thickest southern accent you have ever heard in your life. She would, we would call home and talk to our folks back in uh, the Twin Cities of St. Paul, Minneapolis, and Sarah would get on the phone and she would say, hey, Grandma, I went to Bible school, it was real good. And then my mom would get on the phone and she'd say, what did she say? <laughs> well, let me translate for you. Well, so they, they go to Delft Holland and then they decide we need to go to the new world so that we can educate and raise our children to, the, to our own convictions, to the convictions that we have. So the Michigan Civil Rights Commission, as a perverse and crooked institution,
has decided that they want equal rights for everybody. And so they're going to pursue the transgender policies. Now, one of the things that the militant homosexual community did in the beginning is they said, we need to present ourselves as normal. We cannot let the freaks come to the show. They're not supposed to be seen. So one of the ways they did it is in the television programs, the person who is gay or transgender is always the neighbor who's the best cook, the best dressed, the funniest, and that's what they presented themselves. At the Michigan Civil Rights Commission, they forgot the memo and the freaks showed up in force. My one regret was I wish every single pastor and Christian school student in Max could have been there for that presentation. It was eye-opening. There were grown men there with long hair, wearing a sundress and pumps. That is wrong on so many levels. So everybody knows you wear wedges when you wear a sundress. And they said, and this guy gets up to testify and he says, I've lost, I've lost, I, I get hired and I lose jobs and they discriminate against me. And I said, they're not discriminating against you. Nobody wants you as the face of their company. Nobody wants to work around you. You just make, I'm, I'm uncomfortable just being here. You need to get saved. You've got a soul that's going to live someplace forever. Don't reject the Lord Jesus Christ. If today you will hear his voice, harden not your heart. So we went up to Traverse City, the Michigan Civil Rights Commission. They said, we just want to listen to you before we implement this policy. So they had a couple of people speak, and then they said, we have Tim Schmig, Michigan Association of Christian Schools, here to speak against this policy. So I got up there, and I just looked at him and said, what is wrong with you? Who thinks this is a good idea? Who thinks this will work? And just went on to explain that what they are trying to do flies in the face of 6,000 years of recorded history, that God created male and female. What I think is interesting, the, the dynamic, the, the dual, that we're, dual that we're working with today is this. On the environmental front, they talk about climate change and global warming, and they say the science is settled. We need to do all of this, get rid of fossil fuels and everything. But on the LGBTQ front, they say your gender is fluid. You can be whatever you want. Except I've got a birth certificate that says I was born on this day, at this date, in this hospital, and this was my sex when I was born. That's absolute truth because in the image of God made he them, male and female made he them. So as we live in this crooked and perverse nation, you and I need to accept the fact that it's better for us to be divided by truth than united in error. Amen. To speak the truth that hurts than comforting words that will damn somebody's soul. To be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for speaking a lie that is clearly a lie. There will be a day where we will stand alone with the truth rather than to be wrong with the multitude. The world we live in today is absolutely afraid of offending anybody except God. So we look at this passage. You and I identify ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. We have accepted him. We have placed him as 
the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Michigan Civil Rights Commission, say what you want, Jesus Christ is my Lord, I will not bow my knee to your earthly dictates. To the point of my life, my livelihood, whatever, I'm not bowing. So what is the hope for this? The Bible says there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is what? The ways of death, all right? We've got an opportunity to speak the truth in love. So how do we answer this world? What do we do? How do we live in this world? Let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Not once, not ever, have I shown up in Lansing or Washington, D.C. in the power of Tim Schmig. That would be miserable failure at best. It's got disaster written all over it. It would be a dumpster fire. I don't go there for me. Go there for our, our cause. Go there for what we believe in. But we humble ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exact, exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. Here's our responsibility. There is perverseness. There is crookedness in this world. We cast ourselves on the Lord. We ask the Lord to put a hedge of protection around us. We are willing to stand for him. We are asking him to protect us. And then verse 8, he says, be sober, be vigilant. Now here's where we fall down. Here's where we could do better. We see the world as it is out there, perverse and crooked. And so our reflex is we listen to Sean Hannity and then we go on Facebook and we post everything Sean Hannity said in our own words. No. Our power. Paul says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. I don't want Fox News power. I don't want MSNBC power. I want the power of his resurrection. When you and I speak, and we speak the truth in love, we have the most powerful visual you could possibly imagine. When we did the King James Expo in Washington, D.C., 2011, celebrating the King James Bible in the English language. We had the most amazing visual you could possibly imagine for Washington, D.C. Our podium was set up right here. The dome of the Capitol was right there. And every single photograph, every single special number, everything as you sat there, you saw the Bible here, one of the seats of power in the United States behind us. It was an incredible visual. But when you and I speak for the Lord, we stand in front of a more amazing visual. We are standing in front of an empty tomb. And we say, he is not here. He is risen. Come see the place where the Lord lay. We serve a risen Savior. We belong to him. So we're sober. We're vigilant. It wouldn't hurt us to maybe attend a school board meeting, Michigan Civil Rights Commission meeting, we are monitoring what they do. Now, at the end of the day, they're going to do what they're going to do. Sometimes I think short of 
a Damascus Road experience. Will they ever change their mind? But Paul has already said they're moving in that direction. The world will get worse and worse. Our response is <clears throat> we stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. So let not our heart be troubled. Ultimately, we win. Remember the song, Must I Be Carried to the Skies on Flowery Beds of Ease, while others fought to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? Sure, I must fight if I would gain. Increase my courage, Lord. Lord, it's not going to be easy. I understand. Don't give me an easy road. Lord, give me the courage of my convictions. Help me to stand up for what's right because it's right. And because one day I'm going to stand and give an account to you for how I've lived my life, what I've done with the very few talents that you've given me. Have I done anything for you? And let it never be that we've turned our back on the Lord or on something that we know, something that we know to be true. You and I, Paul says, are ambassadors for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are living in a land where we are not to get too comfortable. This world for us, Christianity for us, is a battleship where we are all at general quarters. It's not a cruise ship with a buffet and all the good stuff that's there. We're here to try to live our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. How are we doing? Are we standing up for the Lord? A testimony for him now and then? Giving somebody a track, giving somebody a witness? Speaking the gospel with our words? Let me tell you what the Lord's done in my life. Let me tell you what's happening. I, I was praying the other day, and God answered this prayer. I was reading my Bible, and it was as if this verse just jumped out. You know, our time is short. Many of us can look farther back than we can look ahead. Let's invest our life in this perverse and crooked nation, things that are going the wrong way, but let us be the ones who stand up for what's right in a world that's going wrong. God gives us all power is given unto us to do this. Let's pray together today. You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you would like more messages, visit our website at fbcclarklake.org, where all of our messages can be downloaded for free. Also, you can subscribe to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud. All of our messages are available for free. If you want to keep up to date on what's going on at Fellowship, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, where you can see what's happening happening at Fellowship Baptist Church. If you'd like to visit us, Fellowship Baptist Church is located at 3200 Reed Road, Clark Lake, Michigan. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you back here again next time.